our outtakes need to sound um, authentic and genuine, which is, I think, a bit of a problem because none of your jokes are authentically or genuinely funny. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> JM, that's a, that's a personality problem that you and I both have, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, both of us are more about BPM than about LOL. And, and here yeah. goes down the listenership. <laughs> Welcome to the What's Your Baseline podcast, where we demystify enterprise architecture and business process management. We're here to bring best practices and lessons learned from our years to your ears, as well as interviewing friends we've met along the way on our professional journeys. My name is Roland Volt, and I'm joined today by my co-host, J.M. Erlinson. Hey, J.M., how are you doing today? I'm doing great. It is, whoa, it's chilly here in Toronto. It's gotten below zero far below zero for those who are in Celsius, um, probably in the 20s or or around that, and for those who are in Fahrenheit. And I love walking around outside, but I got to tell you, Roland, when it gets this cold and this windy, it's a bit of a challenge for me, and I'd prefer just to stay in my warm home. How is it where you are? Snowy. We, we got some snowfall today. I, I don't know. I'm just looking outside. It's whatever, a little bit of dusting, maybe half an inch. So not really a lot, but um, unfortunately, yeah, we got snow and I prefer the summer too as well. So no change. But now comes the lame joke while we were talking about lame jokes, you know, <laughs> when you're outside and it's cold, you know, uh, you can slip on roads. And I, I got something uh, or better, someone for you who's working in a company who creates roads, if I have Ooh. misunderstood. Mm. Yeah. Because today we have uh, a premiere. We're on episode 62, and this is the first time we actually have a, I don't know, user is the wrong word, but basically somebody who actually uses BPM as a discipline in an organization to accomplish something. You know, not just those slimy, stinky consultants and whatever <laughs> other experts, you know, that talk about this. Somebody oh, who yeah. lives it day in and day out. And and with that, I'd like to welcome Martin Holling to our wonderful conversation from northern Germany, if I have understood right. this correctly. Right. Hello. Yes, I'm actually dialing in from Hamburg right now. Ah, well, welcome to the show. Most beautiful city in the world, at least in Germany. That's debatable. That's debatable. <laughs> I studied in Munich. <laughs> yeah, and come come visit me and you will see that it's not only raining in Hamburg. Today it's even sunny. It was sunny because it's in the evening right now. And we have a little bit dust of snow as well. So one of the rare snowy days here in Hamburg, northern Germany. Oh, wonderful. Well, we're happy to have you on the show. And it's exciting to get a chance to chat with you a little bit more about your experiences. Um, for those of you who are listening in, I'm sure we've talked a lot about theory. But today, Martin and us are going to go through a little bit more about what has happened as he's implemented, lived the BPM life in practicality. So let's start off by asking you a little bit more about yourself. And then we'll get into the, that experience there. So let's ask you who you are. Tell us a little bit about your background, experiences, uh, like the person who is Martin in the business world. Yeah, actually, from my education, I'm an industrial engineer. I studied about 25 years, a little bit more than 25 years ago here in the northern Germany area and was working all the time in a dual study in some machinery building companies for corrugating machineries, so the uh, corrugated paper you all know when you are getting your 
um, parcels from your favorite online store. Um, yep. There is uh, quite some machinery behind these cardboard boxes, I can tell you. So um, I have been uh, in uh, industry companies all my working life, uh, most of the time, and even during my studies already focused on process management. BPM wasn't yet um, invented is the name of it, but we were a part of the total quality management um, initiatives at the middle of the 90s where process management was uh, starting to think about we have to analyze processes, we have to improve processes from a very practical way of work. And there was no uh, notation already um, kind of standardized. So everybody was <laughs> yeah. was doing whatever you want. And uh, my um, diploma thesis was a process analysis for the uh, main wearing part of a corrugator so the corrugating paper machine um, that has a complete um, life cycle and will be refurbished about three times before the corrugator roll, what's that part is, will be kind of uh, scrapped. And the hmm. whole process from a customer wanting to um, buy a corrugating machine and for sure also this corrugator rolls up to three refurbishments of the machine of the roll to scrap it and and it was a kind of well each part of this was kind of half a ton of metal so to say so it was a little bit of scrap worth <laughs> in the end as well so the whole process was analyzed by me as my diploma thesis and the process was then documented on a about five meter long sheet of paper in a kind of workflowy a notation that was available at that time. So going from there, I was doing some practical experiences in sales and procurement and strategy, business development, analytics, and quality management until I came back to process management as part of the quality management. Now then, after some switches in the Siemens Corporation, where I worked for about close to 20 years, mainly in process management. And uh, at that time also in the end of the 2000 years, so by 2008 and nine, I was first time really implementing a BPM approach for a part of the Siemens Corporation kind of from scratch. Oh. And um, that was then already with, uh, at that time, the standard notation ARIS and with a BPM analytical and, and highly sophisticated approach from the Siemens Corporation as well. Yeah, it seems like you've gone from a very physical, like manufacturing engineering, which sort of, sort of matches up with my experience, which is going from very physical, like you can see the process happening because it's physically transforming the good. Right. I was crawling through the machine yeah. <laughs> at once as a sales engineer to tell the machinery users how to uh, build in the equipment that we were selling for that machine into the machine. So now, I love it. now whenever I tell clients <laughs> about our ideas of how we show and represent a process to uh, a user, you know, thinking about whatever glasses and and audio and all that type of stuff. Now I have yeah. a face in in front of my mind, you know, poor Martin crawling <laughs> through the machine. Awesome. Yeah, actually, actually, those corrugated paper machines, they are kind of 
300 meters long, three stories high, 10 meters wide. And there is uh, between three for a small uh, single layer cardboard and seven rolls of uh, of big four-ton rolls of paper running through that machine at a speed of per layer at a, by speed about 300 meters per minute and and cr creating this cardboard and you that can is, imagine uh, imagine what, what kind of what kind of machine that is and uh, yeah. actually at that time i was selling the equipment for those machines to align the layers yeah. next to each other to eliminate waste Mm -hmm. And also to 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 fine tune the tension of if you are not having the same tension in the paper layers that you glue together, you end up with bowed paper. Ugh. Wow, it sounds like partial like engineering, partially mission impossible. I love it. <laughs> yeah, but that was that was really the idea of proce process efficiency in a mechanical way. Really, to go yeah. there and 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 make sure that by aligning the layers of paper and by controlling the tension of the layers, you eliminate waste. So, right, perfect lean process management that brought all the theory in a very very practical use. But but now fast forward a little bit. So so uh, we heard you were at Siemens. Um, I would assume you're not at Siemens anymore because you wouldn't have used no. the past tense. Um, tell us a <laughs> yes. little bit about what you're doing today. Actually, yeah, between between Siemens and uh, and today, I was uh, uh, one of those nasty consultants that I was always not fearing, but always hating when they came to Siemens to make my day worse and not bringing any benefit to my work. <laughs> <laughs> so I said, I said to myself, oh, I can boy. I can do that better, and did it better for some years doing special. Uh, consultancy work for digitalization and process management in a very small northern Germany company. We were consulting the bigger um, energy suppliers in Germany. We were consulting medical equipment, uh, machinery builders, and and also some some smaller um, chemical goods dealers. And so very different. Um, companies on how to digitalize their processes, on how to fine tune their processes, how to implement BPM, and then mm -hmm. then there came this road construction company around the corner said we need somebody to make us work in processes. So they didn't have any right. idea what this was really meant. They just th said we need to do, we need to have some process management in our in our work in our company, and they. They were looking for 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 some headhunters and asking asking them to find somebody with expertise on practical experience of process management. So so what was the need then for for Kenna, which is the company's name? What was the need uh, for for the firm to implement BPM if they obviously happily existed a long time before? And and in yes. our prep call, you told us a very awesome story about. Uh, just to give an idea what the what the company does of replacing the tarmac on the Hamburg airport while the airport is still open right we we had last last summer we had airplanes um landing and and starting through our right through the middle of our road construction site where we were replacing the tarmac uh, and and uh, while the, uh, the airport was in use Speciality of Hamburg Airport is that the two um, runways are crossing each other. 
So it's, it's they are built up like a cross. So we have a crossing mm -hmm. section, and we always had to work on one uh, uh, on one runway per per time. Then for sure, leaving out the crossing section, the intersection in the middle, they only could work on the intersection during the night. So um, this is a work that we not did not do on our own because it's a bigger uh, project that we did with some partners in, in our industry as well as a, uh, a well, we call it Arbeitsgemeinschaft. So it's kind of a, um, a corporation, so to say. A, mm -hmm. Yeah, joint venture. Yeah. Joint venture, time-bound joint venture just for that project. But for sure, we need to understand our processes. So, and we do. We are we are a company that is on the market since uh, more than 160 years, even before um, tarmac roads were were standard or were even kind of built, because we were starting as a machinery company building machinery for farming. Mm -hmm. But to come back, come back to my original question: Why did Kemna have the need to start with? process management now why didn't they start 160 years ago yeah. uh, well <laughs> maybe a little bit later but you, you, you know why now and, and yeah. not earlier yeah actually um the thing is that uh Kemna has always been uh wealthy and successful in what they did such as that over the last mainly the last 10 years they were buying several other road construction companies in the northern half of Germany and integrating them into the Kemner Group, um, with made obvious that it might be a good idea to create kind of a Kemner way of working. And that's exactly the job title or the the the, the work title that this my my project has, creating a Kemner way of working. So meaning that all those um, merged Companies, they all had their own way of how to run their processes, how to build roads. And um, coming together as one group, as one company, means that it might, although we're still uh, prosperous and we're still uh, um, doing a good money with, with what we are doing, it might be a good idea to think further into the future and to fine-tune The way on how we are running our processes in a kind of similar way for everybody, and uh, and and make sure that we are prepared for when it comes uh, when it was really getting obvious that we need to bring more efficiency into our processes. Right. So not only are you looking to exploit the continuous growth of the organization together now, but you're also looking to harmonize ways of working that make it so that you can future proof your business operations. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, for sure. And especially as we are uh, more or less 100% relying on the um, on the governmental uh, um, customers, so to say. We only have official uh, um, state-owned customers, so to say, because who who private person builds or lets himself build a atomic, a big atomic yeah. road? There, is, so there are rarely... Uh, rarely Rarely, seldom people, especially in, in in Germany, that really are are looking for having a, built a private road. So, um, and uh, and the and the um, official state organs, they are always only um, uh, giving the the orders for construction, road construction, to the lowest bidder. 
to the lowest price. Interesting. I, I wondered about this because I actually work a little bit in the, the public granting space in Canada. And I'm wondering, do you have any requirement for there to be a documented process that they will review? Or is it simply a financial conversation? Is your number the lowest? Um, for the final decision, the, the lowest number gets the win. But to be able to submit an offer, you have to prove that you are a certified ISO certified company and so on. So we are ISO ah. 9001 certified because otherwise we are not allowed to bid. So it's a th it's a threshold that yes. you have to be past that, and then negotiation right. happens on the right. pricing. Right. Okay. So you have to fulfill requirements that are, for example, being ISO certified. To, to, to make sure that you are providing quality work, that you are also fulfilling all the AEHS requirements, um, that you are saving your, your, your workers as well as the environment, as well as being sustainable. It, it, it is now getting a little bit more into the direction that you also have to fulfill some specific sustainability requirements to get mm -hmm. granted. Uh, the 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 order, but uh, still the final decision is on the price, and, and that means that means that you have to think about getting more and more efficient over time, because um, your competitors are doing the same thing, and you cannot say, okay, we always have been uh, the highest quality bidder, and people were. Uh, kind of reflecting our price in a way that it is it is maybe worth thinking about uh, about us with a little bit more positive attitude than the others, um, because it doesn't help. You have to uh, get the best best price to be to be able to do the work. Right. So if you're, <laughs> I, I want to hear this again because I, I think this is really interesting. If the final decision is always based on price and you have to come to the lowest price to win the bid, it sounds like you're saying your profit for the organization is now based off of your efficiency. Right. And efficiency is driven by process and process improvement. For That's sure. a fascinating insight. Yeah. That means that you're, you're building, there's a, a really interesting model here in, in, in Canada about um, managing multi-unit residential buildings, MERBs, and getting energy efficiency lower. There's a company, a great case study, where the company said, just pay us 90% of your utility bill and we'll supply all of your, uh, your energy. So the, their entire business model was about creating a more efficient operations for the building so that they could take the difference as profit. And it sounds like here, that's what you're doing. You have to come to the lowest number in order to win. But the difference of efficiency based is, is your profit. Yeah, actually, when we want to when we want to have a, a higher profit, we have to be more efficient because the market gives us clear uh, borders of how high we can get the price that our customers will pay. Which obviously has a lower end for sure. for obvious reasons. Always, but um, <laughs> maybe maybe to to bring it back uh, back a little. Um, you're in that role for a year or two now, so I'm I'm I started exactly a year ago. Oh, in here the you go. Of Twenty-three. Yeah. So, so what? What were your uh, experience and your approach to bring process management to an organization that hasn't had that before? <laughs> the idea is really to um, 
be kind of communicative. Tell the people what is the benefit of having an idea of how your process works and how your process could work better. Meaning the, the, the approach for, for, for a company that doesn't have any experience in process management is not giving them a fancy tool or showing them a wonderfully documented process in BPMN or ARIS mm -hmm. or UPN or whatsoever notation that no normal person can understand by just looking at. Because we have to be sure. Um, a person that didn't have any idea of what a process notation tells you when you look at that picture, it's just a lot of boxes and arrows and lines and circles and some words in there and nobody can tell what does this mean because people have no idea and so, you have to you have to make those people being curious about okay uh, what does it mean having a process and looking for is this process better than the one that i have right now so the 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 people the culture the curiosity of the people is what you have to kind of pinch and and say that's the way to go for and that takes time yeah how do you accomplish that so the, on, on two ways one is obviously laying the groundwork for things to come in the future right mm -hmm. so getting buy-in and, and all these things yeah. uh, but also how do you approach somebody who hasn't worked in and with processes before you know do you do you uh, whatever, do role plays, send them 500 page documents, no. uh, whatever. <laughs> how do you, how do you convince people to buy into this? Because otherwise it's just Martin doing his thing and nobody in the rest of the organization cares about. Yeah, actually this is always uh, something where you have to be careful not to step into that path because that can happen. But um, it is important that you catch the people in their own process, meaning you have to, Go there, look at that, and tell them, okay, just what are you doing here? This looks funny. Tell me more. Give me some examples. Is this normal what you're doing here? Do you have some feeling of um, this is odd and I, I'm doing things that I shouldn't do because the, the guy in, f in, 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 in the step before in my work line not to talk poses uh, in, 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 my, in my sequence, in the work sequence, should have done this. And I'm always doing his work. You get those as soon as you ask the people, um, what are you doing? And are you satisfied with what you are doing? And, mm. and then look at it. Be, be open-minded and, and have an idea of how a process could run and have always one thing in mind that I think it helps in the communication and that's that's the simple cypoc mm -hmm. this is this is something that even people that don't have any idea about process management easily understand it's saying okay what is triggering your work how 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 do you get to know that you have to do something now who's giving you this trigger from whom so the supplier is coming the trigger the input to what do you have to do that's the process And what you do something, what is the result? What is the, the what is coming out of your work? And who whom do you give it to? What's the customer? So this is easily understandable for people that haven't heard process 
in their whole life before. Mm -hmm. And and going from there, easy. And even if you say, okay, I have a, I have a very simple, very small, uh, everybody loves it, Excel template, template for the CIPOC, saying, okay, we have one column for supplier, one column for input, one column for process, one column for output, and one column for customer. And then you mm -hmm. go line by line, first process step you're doing. Who gives you what to start working? What are you doing in your work? What is the result of your work for whom? That is your process. And the people start to think, ah, that is a process. And then once you have shown them this two or three times, and then you can start putting a, a kind of a fact sheet together with more around what is the uh, tools you need, what is the documentary, documented knowledge you need, you, you need what is things like uh, 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 experience, knowledge, or whatsoever you can ask people to get to do their whatever, um, all this around. Are there any regulations you have to comply with? And all this kind of stuff. This will only kind of give more flesh to the bone of this CIPOC, and then they have kind of a fact sheet for their process. And mm -hmm. and this is the final deliverable then? or For the, for the, for the very first step, this is the mm -hmm. final delivery. And then we start thinking about, okay, um, now let's look at how do you communicate with your supplier and why aren't you telling him that you feel that you have to do his work? So let's bring the people together. And then we just widen the process from the one process up to the end-to-end -end process chain at the end for the specific use case. And do you do you then take this and uh, put that into, quote-unquote, a proper process diagram? Or uh, do you use it for communicating the whole end-to-end? -end, or do you have... And I'm pretty sure we'll talk about that in the second segment a little bit more. But do you have certain governance flows that you have to go yes. through and get buy-in and, and all those things? Or is it basically just the deliverable yeah. that you just described and, and that's it? Yeah. Actually, for sure, we are not on an empty green field. We have some work instructions. We have procedures. We have documented knowledge whatsoever um, that is there. We have uh, some some process procedures Uh, that are just needed because otherwise we wouldn't even be getting cert certified, right? So we right. have to have this. We have a we have a management system in place that is okay. a lot of a lot of documents and a SharePoint. And for sure, I asked the people, okay, do you know all those documents, all those work instructions, all those process procedures that are part of your process, that are part of the process before your process and part of the process after your process? And do you comply with those? And sometimes people say, yeah, there is something, I have seen it, but I don't use it. Like always, right? It's the documented process and the lived process. Mm -hmm. They are probably not the same. And then you start to think about, okay, come on, let's sit down together. Why do you only complain and not change? And And then we are in the transition, in the transformation, in the change mode and saying, okay, now let's go sit down together like I just did today, talking with the people from accounting and the people from, from the HR department on some specific um, EHS requirements we have to fulfill for our workers. Yeah. 
I have a question for you, Martin, because you, you brought up something earlier that I, I do want to think about a little bit more, and then I want to take us to a break. So we're going to we're gonna have you answer this, this quick question. Um, it might take a little longer to explain, but let's start with this. You mentioned previously that there was documentation in some of those cases. There was very, like, very low-level procedure documentation that had at least been created for certification or for at least just job aid. How much have you found it useful for that documentation to exist as you're moving people towards more of a BPM mindset? Or how much have you found that documentation to be a hindrance, providing false information or a false sense of security that we don't need to change because we already have this? Actually, the content of the documented information is helping me and uh, and the other people to um, identify the processes that are in there. For sure. But um, as you said, there are two, two uh, uh, answers I often get when I ask the people about let's do something. Um, we always did it like this. Mm-hmm. And we have everything under control. <laughs> and this is, this, this is two things that I'm, uh, that I'm not accepting. We have always done it like this tells me that the people don't see that we are in a fast-moving world, also in road construction. And we have everything under control. For me, it's just a lie. Well, no one ever has anything truly under control, right? You've got a lot of other factors outside of your process. And in fact, good processes themselves have contingencies. They have business continuity plans or disaster recovery plans. They have variant, you know, variances based off of different conditions that might arise that are unexpected. And you need a process that's as flexible and able to adapt to changing market conditions, changing customers, changing circumstances. I, I mean, it, nothing like you, you can say we have everything under control, but it's not true. You can say more accurately, we have everything. We have the plans we need in place so that should conditions change, we can regain control. If, over the last year, in most of the of the departments I was looking into, I at least got this, we have everything under control away from the table, saying, okay, the people started to think about, okay, um, we have something documented, but it is probably not in the quality or in the to the extent that we really could uh, use it um, best for for our work and for future improvements because i always yeah. tell them okay one thing we always did it like this means then we are due to improve it because time has passed since we always did it and we for sure need to improve something to be good again yeah not to talk it. about to be to be best just think about we want to be we want to be good again because we 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 have been good we are still making money but but uh we have to be prepared for the changing world that we all see and Mm -hmm. and and uh, we only can survive in this ever-changing world by trying to get better every day right so continual continual improvement is uh, is one of the most important pillars of my process management understanding. Well, that's a great place for us to take a quick break. Uh, We've been talking in burning brains for a little while now, and I wanted to stop with a question for our audience before we move on to our second section. Think about your experiences, audience, um, particularly with, with introducing BPM, implementing process and process frameworks in your organization. 
Um, how has Martin's experience somewhat mirrored yours or are there differences? And where do you see lessons learned from his experiences so far that might help you in your future conversations about BPM within your organization? We'll leave you for a moment and come back with our second section. More details and the how. And welcome back, uh, Martin. Excellent thoughts, excellent um, answers to the questions that we haven't asked yet. <laughs> so uh, let's have a closer look, obviously, at the approach that you that you're actually using. You know, the the how tos, right? So we spoke about the whys and how did Kemna to get to the point. Uh, obviously, all the uh, circumstances in which you you enact, um, and you gave us a little perspective on how you actually do this but i'm pretty sure there's a little bit more and, and even maybe some of that stuff might not be implemented in your current organization right. but i know you've done that before so i would be curious and i'm pretty sure our listeners are as well uh, what your recommendations are what details and, and what areas you have to look at when it comes to the implementation of a process capacity if you will mm -hmm. yeah actually um i think it starts most of the time with a strategy being from coming from the top, right? So somebody has to say, we want to go into a specific direction with our process management approach. This strategy is, is mainly needed to, to also uh, give the people an idea about the governance we need to implement. Meaning we have to make sure that everybody understands what is the process? What is a process owner? What is a process expert? What is a process user? What is a documented knowledge? What is an input and output and customer supplier? All these things have to be defined, have to be um, documented in a way they say, okay, this is how we are approaching process management. This is our governance. That's the very first step to take. Before you go to the next step, I just want to ask a quick question about that, because you said that the strategy has to be that people are looking to take a process approach. What are some other terms or what are some other business circumstances where a strategic approach might not include the word process, but you can translate that into we need to take a process approach to achieve this strategy? Yeah, that's, that's mainly going into the idea of how can we get more efficient? How can we reduce cycle times? How can we make sure that we are talking about the same thing when we are talking about a, uh, if it's not, it's, it's not a process, but really talking about a, 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 an artifact that we are kind of dealing with in our daily work working on something, not only in one department, but across the company in several departments. And this then brings us into the idea of, okay, we have to kind of align 
the approach, we have to align uh, what we mean when we are talking about a, a customer order, when we are talking about a, uh, um, a purchase order, when we are talking about goods received, when we are talking about all these very practical things. And uh, as I said in the beginning, we are a kind of merged company of several different road construction companies that mm -hmm. probably also do have not different but not 100% aligned definition of such a thing like an order or a turnover or whatever. So when you hear efficiency or alignment, those are the kinds of words that might lead you down the path of saying, this is going to require a process-driven approach yes. to achieve our goals. I love it. So now we've gotten strategy. Let's keep going from strategy is now set. You hear yeah. that it's going to either involve BPM directly or it's going to require process in order to achieve its goals. Where do we right. go from there? Right. And I, I just also take the, the, the second step that I also started. Let's say that we have uh, now set the governance. So meaning that we have put the definitions not only for every artifact in the company, but mainly also the definitions for the process management specific things like the roles and 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 the parts of a process what is an activity what is a uh, input and and so on and so forth so this is this is now clear to everybody and then the people start thinking about okay we have now some um, management system documentation that we were using to document the way we work up to now let's think about how can we align the way of doing this Right now, we have table-based um, process documentation in documents, Word documents, PowerPoints, whatever. And um, we have started to give them a uni unified um, look and feel. So that's, that's the first approach to, to align. That's, that's the starting point. Now we start off, okay, we have our um, process management governance topics there. We have defined what is a role, what is a activity, what is a documented knowledge, and so on and so forth. And mm -hmm. we have a um, we have a uh, somehow defined way of how to document our process procedures, our work instructions. Next step would be thinking about okay, um, we can we can we can fine tune that and even. Uh, uh, um, make it much more easier to, to come up with a way of um, always use the same graphical object for the same artifact. Right. So that's starting to get into notation. And it doesn't yeah. mean that we have to start going full-blown BPMN or ARIS or whatever notation there is. Um, it's good for the, for the experts that might always be kind of very well aligned with me being the process management head, so to say, that that they understand how this notation is read and can kind of read, understand, and translate it for non-experts. Right. But the 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 process flow notation that I'm thinking about using for everybody, and we are talking about people that have been highly educated, studying engineering whatsoever, as well as road construction workers that maybe not even talk German. 
mm-hmm. because they are they are we have we have quite a lot of uh, uh, need for 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 road construction workers where German people say no this is dirty work I don't like to do that and we are asking people from Eastern Europe from Africa from wherever if they want to work for us right we are looking right. desperately for 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 people doing that work and they might not they might for sure be able to communicate for daily life in normal german yeah um, in simple german so to say but they will not be able to understand all the specific terms and 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 phrases that we might need from technical documentation that we get for a from a customer to fulfill our uh, our road construction project so how will you how will you do this will you go and hire the guy who draws the ikea instructions and and draw little diagrams or or how do you solve that problem because that's obviously quite quite a bandwidth you know that you have to do or do you think about separating this you know you have the the more academic and the more hands-on approach or or what are your ideas on that actually actually that's this is where i for my uh, understanding right now am in a good position to say hooray Uh, technology is f- much more advanced than the time I did this before. And lucky us at that time, it was in uh, Siemens Corporation in the wind power business. That is a highly technical uh, uh, part of the business where we did not have limited skilled workers, but highly uh, educated workers all around so we were able to just put it out in at that time we even did give them some RS process descriptions uh, to to work with and they understood it with some teaching and learning but today mm-hmm. um also thinking about what the ai development of the last year and and the last years so far has already brought out um i think that in the very near future um the Process description can be documented in one way and kind of on the hit of a button or on the ask of a question be transformed transformed in any simple or complicated process notation without extra work. So meaning that mm-hmm. that you document you document a process description with the expert in a way that is uh, good enough for all the experts to understand and ai can bring it into a uh, digitalized uh, automated uh, automated rpa available version as well as in a simple graphic uh, no words needed version for yeah. for the normal workers that is that mm-hmm. is actually very interesting because when when i think about in, in my daily job here um, about this because the tools today what they do is they give you an SOP, right? You have your process diagram. It reads uh, objects, attributes, relationships, and, and whatnot, and brings it together by itself in uh, what a, a website, a document, or, or whatnot, right? right? That, that was, that, yeah, that that, was that still will, the case, already the case in, 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 in the times of RS. We had on the push of the button from an RS document, you could yeah. have a table-based process description, right? Yeah, what, what, whatever, right? So the tools today do this. I think the interesting things, that's what I'm thinking of is, well, where does it go? You know, um, mm-hmm. I'm thinking, what about transforming into simple things like checklists, right. um, transforming it into audio. Yeah. Right? So people listen. Into video, into small films. Or yes, augmented reality, you know, all yeah. that type of stuff. Yeah. I think that's the next 
thing, you know, and if I was a product manager, which I'm not, you know, I think <laughs> when I look at tools, uh, they're all, well, I will get beaten for that. They're all doing the same thing-ish, right? They just have different notations they use, right? So you differentiate on the on the inputs and outputs, mm -hmm. right? I think that is the, the point. I, having said that, I think we differentiate the tools on other areas as well that are a little bit higher level or a bigger spiel, but that's not the topic of today. Um, <laughs> when I when I look at this, um, and you mentioned, you alluded a little bit um, into that direction, but when you implement BPM in an organization that's uh, obviously not very mature, what are the roles that you're looking at? Who who do you have to bring in? Who, are, who do you have to convince first uh, to start building that ecosystem of people who uh, actually create the, the bigger thing that you then can use for your ISO certifications and all the other things that you want to do. The, the crucial main, main crucial role for implementing a BPM into an organization is the process owners. They have to buy in. They have to say, this, this is my process and I want everybody working in that process to do it exactly like I want to have it done. And then for sure, it's about how to train the users to do it the way the process owner wants to do it. Mm -hmm. So just out of curiosity, there's obviously two philosophies here, you know, the, the vertical breakdown, you know, I'm the CFO, I determine how finances will be done in our organization versus the end-to-end -end perspective where you say, oh yeah, we need to get from here to here. I don't care what's downstream or upstream. That's somebody else's problem. Right. And and you have the horizontal coordination. What what is the approach that you would prefer? For the work, for the process. It's the horizontal part. It doesn't matter if the process owner is the CFO for the accounting process or if it's the most experienced accountant. Mm -hmm. um, because it's the one that says, I know exactly how this process works best. I do have my experts that help me implement it, for sure. I cannot implement it all on my own. But mm -hmm. I know exactly how this process works best. And I can tell the people that how to do it, so to say. Because mm -hmm. in the past, it was always the problem to find the right process owners, also in, 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 in the Siemens Corporation, because of the huge organization we are talking about, of the lot of people over there. And I always said to the... Uh, governance team for the process management, I always said, look, um, the process owner has to be the guy that in the end kind of can force implement the process, meaning that mm -hmm. that has to be the guy that says, okay, if you're not doing what I tell you to do in my process, you might need to look for a different company to work for. Mm -hmm. And not only telling it to the buys, but also being able to execute this decision. Yeah, that makes sense. And this is this is for me not really uh, uh, bound to the hierarchy when you are when you are giving the process owner the right force of execution. Yeah, and and we spoke with with T about this when we were talking about uh, COEs a couple of months back now, you know, uh, mm -hmm. it's basically the, the person who's responsible for the result, right? And, and yeah. that person needs to be empowered uh, in in doing what, what he or she might uh, want to do. So 
Who who else do you think needs to be defined besides those two roles that you currently have? Um, actually, for sure, you need to have some people helping. That is the process experts. You have mm -hmm. to to have to have them because the process owner cannot do it on its own. And then when it comes to a diversified, uh, very widely spread organization, you, the process owner might need help in implementing the process in outbound subsidiaries or whatsoever. Mm -hmm. Because because he cannot be everywhere at the same time. I have a question about that in, in particular when you talk about implementing in outbound subsidiaries. Talk to me about the spread of process. Because you've talked before about the fact that you, you need artifacts, you need them centralized, you need them controlled, you need and governance, you need a standardized language in some capacity, but talk to me about how that, how you disseminate this information to people and how you get them to not just come on board because, as you said, the process owner can force implement things, rather to say that for them to even know about this and to feel like they are capable of achieving this process or following this process. This is always the very tricky part of, of getting the right people to do, fulfill those roles. And uh, I do not have a... Um, Uh, kind of a, a, a just from my head solution to that one. It, I think it's very much, <laughs> very much depending on the organization itself, and that's also what I see right now struggling to 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 um, uh, because you, you Roland, you said that for sure. Right now, we have a less mature organization in Kemna than we had than I had in the past in Siemens that was much more mm -hmm. mature so I'm right now discussing the role of the process owner with those people that should from the past uh, already know that they have this role but they are not really understanding it right so so sometimes there are process owners that say okay yeah I'm a, I know I, I understand this process and yes I can implement it but I only can implement it in my location I cannot, right. I, I cannot, yeah. I cannot be the process owner for the other locations. I say, no, no, the process owner is one for the whole company. And you for sure do have implementation owners or implementation support in the other locations, but you have to tell them what they have to implement and how, because that's the role of the owner. Yeah. I think the key factor here is that's my opinion. I want to put words in your mouth, but I think you need to have uh, in the hierarchy the right stakeholder who says, yes, this is exactly how I want it. And you, Martin, yes. are now nominated to be that guy. And yeah. let me talk to the other guys from the other organizations where you're not from, that they get that message too, right? right. So you right. need that sponsorship and and, and right. otherwise you will fail and, and people want to be nice, cool. you know, they don't want to uh, come into conflict with their, with their peers, you know, and right. I think that's a big challenge. Yeah, actually, the pro you, you said the right word, the word sponsorship, because a process sponsor, that is for sure the C-level, so the, 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 the CEO, CFO, our, our um, head of, of our company, our, our, um, uh, our managers, top managers, they have to for sure be the ones that say, this is what I want, and that's why I hired Martin to do it. And this is exactly how I'm set up in the organization there. Which, which brings me to a very interesting question, and I haven't asked that. On what level do you see then the process owner role? The process owner role is probably, um, depending on the process, either a 
most of the time a, a department lead on the headquarters. So kind of the being we are we have we have our 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 locations are very independent, but we have a headquarter that is kind of the uh, uh, governing and 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 uh, umbrella function for most of the processes. And when you have this umbrella function, then you are really a process owner. But there are some processes that do not have a stake in the headquarters that are only mm-hmm. done in the uh, in the in the locations. Then we have to figure out okay. Who of these locations is the process owner, or do we have a kind of a process owner committee? So, like a group of people of um, that are in several locations, in the main locations or whatsoever, responsible for running that process, that take over the ownership. This is not yet defined for us. This is one of those things that is the part of the yet to be finalized strategy and governance for for Kemna because of the um specific um uh, the specific way of how our company is organized and set up and um uh, thinking about this from from actually um, I'm doing quite a lot of uh, research in the area of data management right now and there's this funny mm. hub and spoke model of how to organize yeah. <laughs> data management that is exactly how i think process management has to be set up and organized in our company because we have the hub that's the headquarter and we have the very independent locations around that are partially even responsible for processes that are not not at all part of the headquarters processes yeah i agree i agree this is i think a, a good learning going forward because it's it's all determined by the corporate culture that you yes. have you know yes. it could be and uh, <laughs> uh i worked many many years with the german armed forces and everybody would assume it's a very hierarchical organization hint hint no you know <laughs> they all wear the same blue shirts but it's it's not what you might think but at the end of the day i think it it the pendulum goes from very hierarchical to maybe kind of a hybrid model that you have yes. to up to a very decentralized model. When you think about agile delivery methods, you know, that's all decentralized. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's a challenge uh, for each organization to define where Absolutely. on the spectrum you are. And actually right now there is a lot of movement in this organizational ideas and thoughts. Um, during my years in the con- in some consultancy, we were always discussing the so-called 90-degree switch between a hierarchical, top-down organized uh, organization and the process-based uh, horizontal um, organization. And this gets, uh, this 90-degree switch will not go like, okay, today we are going Vertical, tomorrow we're mm-hmm. going horizontal. That will never work. It is a cultural thing that takes generations to fulfill. And that means that this 90-degree switch is going like, I don't know, two degrees each year for several years until yeah. we are never in the complete um, 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 one or the other thing, but we end up in the matrix. Oh, I thought I thought until gravity kicks in and <laughs> things get too heavy and you fall flat on your nose. <laughs> that gravity will 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 kick in the moment that this company falls into the grave. Yeah. Yeah. But hey, hey, Martin, yeah. I, I'm looking at the the time we're, we're reaching uh, roughly the 45, 60 minute mark where you want to be. But obviously, very interesting conversation. But I don't want to let you go without uh, uh, asking you basically, and you did that in between, but uh, to formally ask you. 
What are your lessons learned, not only now with Chemna, but also with Siemens and all those other stations on your uh, uh, Vita that you had? And what would be nice to have that you've seen um, that other organizations that you've worked in might not have implemented? Um, the lessons learned is it is important to stay open-minded to, oh. to, to not go say, okay, this is the way we go and we will not deviate from this path that will never work out because the moment you start to be too strict into one, whatever direction you go, you start losing people because people mm. in the company are all have all their different mindset, all their different ideas, all the different things. And there are a lot of good experts in every company that bring in their own view of the company, of the organization, of the process, of the work. And you be damn bad in how to really work and how to really improve and continually improve your company, get your company to efficiency if you're not listening to the people in your company and listening to all aspects from all directions in your company and try to bring it all onto the plate. That's why I'm also struggling to say we have to decide for one specific notation and fulfill that one because it is all limiting the mind of the people and not letting them be free on being creative and being uh, being supportive on because there is the, the mankind is so creative and supportive on its own by itself that any work you give to them is normally always narrowing their minds down into a specific path that you provide them and tell them to go and the 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 more room you let the, give them to develop their own ideas to bring in their own ideas and also to to make use of the creativity they have to improve their work and also probably the, the collaboration within their company within and uh, uh, beyond their um their um uh their expertise and their own work this is what brings really in the benefits for the company for the corporation in the future wow i love it Stay open-minded. I, I, I like that. I like that a lot. I think it's a great, a great phrase for us to end our second section on. And in particular, I, I'd like to ask a quick question to our audience here. Question is: Think about your next BPM implementation. What would you do differently from what you've heard today, from the experiences you've had? What have you learned? Who would you involve? What, what information would you seek out? How would you restructure your plan and process? And how might you think this could improve your outcomes with BPM implementations? We'll take a quick break and come back with our final thoughts and closing for the episode. Welcome back. 
Um, very interesting episode with Martin uh, about real life experiences. And I'm really excited to finally have a guest who talks not about something in the sense of high level, you know, what are the concepts, but having somebody on the show who actually lives through this day in, day out and, and has all those struggles and also wins on his side. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, yeah I, hope, I hope that the wins are more than the struggles, right? I'm pretty <laughs> sure you will, you will let us know, you know. But uh, maybe just to, to do a little summary of what we spoke about, right? It was uh, obviously, what was the need? Right. And, and how a 160-year-old company now sees uh, process management as their way going forward. And I found it very interesting to see the commercial pressure that you're interacting with, which I can imagine leads to very interesting situations, interesting in inverted commas, uh, <laughs> once in a while. And then we spoke about the approach. We spoke about the details to look for uh, when implementing stuff, especially the roles and how to convince people to step up in a role that they might not feel comfortable in. Yeah. And then obviously I, I loved your um, lesson learned and, and would be nice to have when you said, hey, people need to be open for change because I think that's all what it's about. Yeah, yeah. But having said that, with that, with that interesting summary and, and obviously our interesting conversation, where can people reach you? You know, if they say, "Hey, I want to want to get into contact with that Martin," by coincidence, I'm I'm also close to Hamburg and want to buy him a cup of coffee. Yeah. <laughs> well, if 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 by coincidence somebody's close to Hamburg, for sure, um, maybe he also found already Mirko Kloppenburg uh, from the newprocesslab.com, and we are running a BPM. Stammtisch, so a BPM kind of uh, meetup uh, in every now and then. It's somewhere in Hamburg, and uh, you're always welcome to join us. Um, for sure, just contact me on LinkedIn. Um, I'm I'm quite active on LinkedIn right now, uh, discussing a lot of BPM ideas over there. I also have a small webpage for my freelance activities that is called living-processes.de where you can um, look up some ideas that I have around how I think BPM can be useful for continual improvement, for lean management, for um, really getting the BPM idea into a company on a on a easy way on a simple way not thinking about tools like like in my um, LinkedIn pitch I, I say well process management is mainly cultural change and continual improvements and later comes AT, IT maybe and that's that's <laughs> exactly that's exactly how I think process management should be done it's the people it's the it's the uh, idea of working together to the favor of the company. And then we can look for help in technology way, in organizational way, in whatever way, with uh, implementing more um, IT-specific BPM things like automation or process mining or digitalization. That is helping us, but we have to first have the mindset for it. 
Yeah, talking about the people. I think this is a great transition over to a thank you. A thank you to our audience for sticking around, listening, enjoying along with us, commenting, sharing, subscribing, all the good things you do on all the social networks. Please keep doing that and tell your friends. Make sure that they come along on this journey with us with What's Your Baseline. A huge thank you as well to Martin. This has been a fascinating conversation. If you want to find out more about Martin, of course, you can head over to whatsyourbaseline.com or for this episode specifically, whatsyourbaseline.com slash episode 62. Well, this has been a great time, but until the next one, I've been J.M. Erlinson. And I'm Martin Holling. And my name is Roland Volt. And we will see you in the next one.